It's okay. <laughs> it's been raptured. <laughs> okay, I'm going to pray one more time just because I honestly don't have anything to say to you guys. Wait. What's going on? Oh, you're you're cool. You're cool. Um I just heard a guy talking like down there and I was like, okay, so uh because I don't have anything to say apart from what the Lord wants me to say. And I've got my testimony and some things to share with you that he's laid on my heart. But you guys don't want to hear from me. You want to hear from God. And you've sacrificed an evening to be here, and I want to respect that. So let's pray. Father, I ask that you would move me aside and let your Holy Spirit lead me and guide me. God, I commit uh, my body, my mouth to you, to your keeping to you working through me, God, I'm nothing. I'm, I'm filthy. I'm just like another uh, uh, sack of dirt. I mean, when this body dies, it's just going to be dirt again and bones. It's disgusting. And um, But God, from your mind, your word, you are from everlasting past, God, and you're holy and your word is true and your word has the power to transform our lives to transform our mind and the way that we think. And so, God, would you do that tonight? We invite you in. Father, we pray that your spirit would be full, that we would be yielded to you, listening to you, and that the things that I say, though they're coming out of my mouth, I pray that people would be able to um, just imagine that you're, you're speaking to them and, um, and to really believe that you've got a word for them tonight that will uh, change their life forever if they'll let it God and so we all pray this God speak to me too I uh God I don't want to count myself out from from that I know that you can speak to me as I'm speaking and so we ask for conviction we ask for change and accountability as we go forth we pray this in Jesus name amen okay Julie whenever it is eight fifteen, can you raise your hand Okay. Got anything in my teeth? Okay. That would be embarrassing. All right. Uh, thanks. Don't let that fool you. So bad guy. All right. So Jesus, um, I titled it and then I retitled it. I was like, man, how do I say this? I, what I, the Lord laid on my heart uh, to share with you guys tonight was, um, who is Jesus and what did he do? Like, who is he really? Because there's so many versions of Christ out there that we could potentially follow the wrong Jesus. There are so many false Christs masked inside of great groups of people with good morals even, and groups of people that have many, go by many different names. And um, there's not really a way to discern automatically whether someone is a follower of the real Jesus or not. And sometimes God gives us discernment, but you know, the way that we test the spirits is we, we check the, the Christ being preached by the word of God. Does it hold up when we, when we get the magnifying glass or the microscope of the word of God? And if he's in line with the word, uh, then, then okay. But if not, then 
that's cause for pause and rewind and finding out who the real Jesus is. So I grew up in the church and I grew up uh, feeling relatively close to Christ. I felt uh, as if I could call on him at any time, which is the truth. Uh, the problem was I didn't really act on that until I was 17 years old. And then uh, I was realizing, you know, I'm about to be graduated. My life is changing. And uh, I've been to lots of these church camps. And uh, I called on Christ and I asked him to consume my life, to take me on the altar of his sacrifice, his death, burial, and resurrection, to be my God and to lead me forth. And ever since this night at a church camp, the Lord has been revealing more and more truth to me about himself and about who it is that I'm following. So discipleship um, happened in my life here at Midtown Baptist Temple. God used that. And now I'm in Bible school here in Living Faith Bible Institute, just to give some background of my personal story. But this is Jesus, who he is, what he's done, and why it matters. And so the first slide here is we need to understand the real Jesus. And here's all the reasons that we need to understand uh, the real Jesus. Um, I feel like I'm in your guys' way. So can you guys read that over here? Okay. So here's 10 reasons we need to understand uh, who the real Jesus is. Um, you know, and I'll give, it, I'll give an illustration before I jump into this. Um, it really matters who we follow. One time I went to a theme park with a group of friends, with a really close friend and his brothers. And there's like a, half of it is like a water world. And so there's all these amazing slides that you can go down and do like fun stuff, even that you're not supposed to do if you're with the wrong crowd and they'll try to kick you out and be like, you guys can't be here. You can't have that much fun on that slide. So we went down the tube slide that's like really twisty and amazing. But I followed these dudes. We waited in line for like 45 minutes and I'm like, oh, this is gonna be so much fun. And then they start going down. And then I'm last in line and I'm like, oh great, it's my turn. So, so I like go down the slide. I'm like, you know, just like going all around. And then I realize I look down over my feet and you're supposed to go like this, you know, like a mummy and you shoot down like a pencil. So I did that. But then I saw all my friends, like all 10 of them had stopped in the tunnel and they were taking the guy from the front and he was crawling over everyone and getting to the back of the tunnel. And the guy in the back was trying to get to the front. And so I run into them and then a complete stranger runs into me. He like hits my head, like 10 million brain cells gone. Like I never got them back. It was like, it changed my life forever. Because all because, um, I mean, nothing, they're great. All of them are great. And, but uh, I was following the wrong guy, right? at the time. So they're my friends. So obviously I love them. And I would do it again, probably because I'm just a kid at heart. But, you know, um, but yeah, I was following the wrong guy. And so we got to where we were going. We got to where we were going because of gravity. Uh, but I didn't necessarily get to where I wanted to go. And had I known where I was going, I may have gone back and gone the other way. Does that make sense? So I got to where I was going. 
because gravity, the law was in effect, okay? But once I got to where I was going, I realized I might've gone back and gone the other way had I known where I was going. And following Christ can be this exact same way. So a lot of people are gonna get exactly in the direction that they're going. But because they've been following a wrong Jesus, they're gonna get to a wrong place, right? And so the Bible defines heaven and hell. And what we believe about Jesus is of utmost importance because if we have put our faith in a wrong Jesus and a false Christ, then he has no power to save you, no power whatsoever to save you. But if you put your faith in the God of the Bible, in Jesus Christ of scripture, um, then he's got the power. Dun, dun, dun. I was like, in my mind, I would dance, but I don't really want to do that. It's embarrassing. So I'm not that guy. So, so we need to understand the real Jesus to know we're following the right guy and to call others to follow him too, to rest, uh, to walk in and to rest in his truth, to face trials humbly yet pur purposefully. Because sometimes we face trials humbly and we realize like this trial is to humble me, um, but we lose sight of purpose in the midst of it. And uh, if we keep our eyes on Christ, we will remember that there's purpose and suffering and pain with the real Jesus, right? There's purpose in, in that. And that, so not just humbly, but purposefully. So number five is to cleanse us of the of filth, the filth of our flesh even, by his word, to walk in his spirit, to make sure we're not walking in another spirit, one that may look like Christ, but in essence is our own good intentions, perhaps. We may have a good intentions Jesus is what we'll call him. He's like this big, he's a figurine. He's like six inches tall. He goes wee, 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 like that. So, and then, so to walk in his spirit, to receive his perfect love, because we can't give anything like with all of the trial. And I mean, even your guys' life, I'm faced, I'm sure you guys have thought about, about this too. There's so little of us to go around. And I'm like, Lord, I don't have much to give. And you know, I pray for so many people that are hurting. And I just think like, man, I'm not the Christian that I want to be. You know, I want to be there for these guys. Um, but one thing I know, I can't give anything that I don't receive. And in the times that I have something to give to someone to be compassionate toward them, it's because I got it from Jesus. And so um, to receive his perfect love. And number eight, to entrust our spiritual battles to him. Number nine, to be filled with his sure hope. Number 10, to examine ourselves in light of the judgment seat of Christ. So the Bible says that one day we will be tried uh, for the things that we did in life in our heart. Um, you know, our sins have already been forgiven at the cross. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you got saved, you got born again, then you, uh, your sins have already been judged at the cross. That's what Jesus did for you at the cross. Um, but your works and what sort they are, they will be judged at the judgment seat of Christ. For instance, you hope, I always go back to this. I need to get better examples, but obviously you help the old lady cross the road. Like who wouldn't? An atheist will do that on a bad day. 
And so a Marxist atheist will do that on a bad day. <laughs> but uh, that was funny. <laughs> if I could just say it more confidently. Oh, goodness. Okay, so, so he'll do that on a bad day. Um, and so I would too as a Christian, but say preaching the gospel, there's just some things, preaching the gospel and making disciples, that's where the money's at. On judgment day, you want to have some souls saved behind you. You want to have some disciples made so that they can get out there and preach the gospel with you because then you, you multiply how many people you can get into the kingdom, which you can't get. It's all God working, but, you know, he plays the game with us. He's like, what do you want to trust me for, son? And we can either step in to the arena or not. Uh, but that's the 10th one. And all of these things to go to the next slide. And because uh, these are the 10 gates that Andrew Wong has been preaching about. <laughs> so you've got the sheep gate, which we must humble ourselves to enter into this gate. I mean, this is the point of salvation. This is whenever you said, all right, Lord, my life is not heading anywhere good without you. I see the sin piling up. I see the death. I see the death of things and relationships and I'm seeing that the wages of sin is death. I'm going to call on Jesus, and he's going to give me life. And you made that decision. And so then you get to the fish gate, and he said, follow me, and I'll make you to become fishers of men. And uh, some of, raise your hand if you have no idea what these gates are, because you weren't. That's okay. Keep coming, because Andrew Wong is preaching through Nehemiah, and uh, you'll get more, more info on the gates, but these are the gates that surround the city of Jerusalem. And uh, so if I'm talking about something that you, you don't know right now, keep going and we'll move on with Jesus in just a second. The old gate um, is established the word as the foundation of our lives. The valley gate, we must expect and prepare for trials in life. So all of these, I'm not gonna read through all of them, um, but they do match with the 10 the, the 10 reasons that we need to understand who the real Jesus is. Um, so seven heretical or wrong views of Jesus's atoning work. Atonement, John Wycliffe made this English word at one minute, atonement, because there wasn't really an English word that would describe what Christ did for us, infusing us with his divinity at the cross and death and resurrection of Christ. And so he said, let's call it atonement. And so that's where that, that, at least that's what I've, if I'm wrong, I'm so sorry, but that's what I've been told. Look it up. I think it's all over the place. Um, so a lot of people are wrong if that's wrong. But so the first uh, heretical view of Jesus that's most common is he's a great example. And you guys hear this a lot, right? He's just such a great example. Like, look at Jesus go. And, um, but the thing is in parentheses, you'll notice he's just a good example. And so they will, they will, but they won't say the word just. What they'll say is he is a great example. And since that's true, a lot of people will follow a person that says true things, right? And they'll say, yeah, oh man, yeah, I wanna be like him. He's a great example. So the second one, he's the very best martyr. And then a lot of people would say, yeah, that dude is amazing. I think I would give my life too. 
And then the third one is, he's a wonderful influencer. And then so, you know, like social media influencer, who doesn't want to be an influencer? Um, but he's just a wonderful influencer. He's the most moral man uh, to ever live. And so he's got a lot of, um, I don't know, moral street cred. Like, people are like, man, that guy's, that guy's got it going on morally. If there's anybody that's doing it right, it's him. And that's true. He's the best teacher of the law ever. He's the best rabbi. So we could say he's just the best rabbi. And that would be another heretical view. Um, he's all powerful just over demonic powers. So he's all powerful and he can bind the devil. He's got the keys to hell, you know? And so that's all he is though. And then you go, you go to service and you find out he's only all powerful over the devil and you're left hanging. Like, what about me? Is, can he fix my problems? Does he love me? Does he care about the way my life is going? Uh, what good is it to lock up the devil if I'm not freed from my own sin? He knows all my struggles. And the implication is, oh, he's been a man, so he knows all the sins. I mean, maybe he even committed some himself. Who knows? He, he knows my struggles, you know, but he just knows my struggles. This is also a heretical view. Uh, and so when taken to an extreme, and then you will see admixtures of these. And so some people will say, he's a great example. I mean, for instance, he's the most moral man to ever live. He knows all my struggles too, which makes him my friend. And all these things are great. So we can have so much truth in a space and in our mind about the Lord and completely miss why he came. Because you can put all these things together and you still may not know the real Jesus. It's terrifying because so many times I've been fooled into thinking that somebody was so close or that they had him, but they had never repented of their sin and they never truly trusted him as savior. And if that's you tonight, please stick around to talk to somebody so that you can be sure that what Jesus did when he came to this earth to die in your place, to take the punishment of your sin on him, that you can know that that was for you and that you're free tonight, that you're saved, you're born again, you're in him, you're secure, you're safe with him. Um, don't leave tonight until you work that out. That's what this is all about, right? Amen. So that'd be a good night if, if one person made that decision and we'd all rejoice in the Bible says that the angels in heaven would rejoice as well. Okay, so who Christ is determines what Christianity is. It seems simple, but easy to miss. Uh, Jesus's name is Christ. Uh, it means Messiah. It's the prophet, king, priest, spoken about from the Old Testament. He is the savior of the world. Uh, Christ is from the Greek. Uh, Mashiach, or uh, Messiah, is from uh, the Hebrew or Aramaic, and Jesus is, means Jehovah is salvation. And this is his given name. This is what um, so his mama called him this. Did I say that? I think so. Yeah, his mama called him Jesus. But she was told to, right, Connor? She was told to. Okay, thanks, guys. Um, and then the Lord, he is in authority. 
showing his ownership. He owns the whole earth. Um, and someone who follows Christ understands his lordship. Uh, because Romans 10, 9, and 10 talk about the moment of salvation. You confess with your mouth and believe in your heart the Lord Jesus, um, and that God has raised him from the dead, and then you're saved at that moment that you uh, validate your faith. You step out and you say, yes, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to receive this gift of eternal life. That's the moment of salvation, and he becomes your Lord, and then you follow him for the rest of your life, and okay, so Christ has two natures, and um, this is something that I think a lot of people would agree with, even someone who, um, even someone who is off on a lot of uh, biblical things about Christ would agree that Christ has two natures. I forgot to tell you guys that tonight is going to be theological. This is like a theology night. So in a lot of ways, I'm teaching, and, um, and I meant to tell you guys that sooner. But now, now you know. Um, but um, a lot of this will still preach, so let's keep going. Um, he became a man, yet he is a divine person. His humanity did not develop an independent personality. And so he retained his personality as God and yet uh, as man. There was no confusion of his divine unity. The divine nature imparted powers to the human, and human experiences became possible for the divine. So God could experience a human life fully as God and as man, all without corrupting any of his divinity, any of his godness, or diminishing his humanity. Didn't take away from the fact that he was still completely man. So Jesus Christ, to say it simply, was 100% man and 100% God, and this is good news for us. Salvation hinges on him being both. So no, no divided personality. Um, he wasn't a schizo. Uh, no confused uh, natures. And the union of Christ's uh, two natures is permanent. And so he's the God-man. That's who Jesus is into eternity future. Oops, I moved my box and my... Okay. Uh, why Jesus' two natures matter so much. So there could be no salvation apart from Christ's incarnation. Incarnation means God putting on flesh. God put on flesh, and we, we use this fancy word, incarnation. Carne in uh, Spanish. What does that mean? Meat. Cool. Okay. I thought so, but I'm not a Spanish authority. Thanks, Edubon. Um, Edubon de la Torre. Um, or de la torre because there's two R's so uh, there could be no salvation apart from Christ fully being the one true God and yet fully man because he's the mediator between God and man he's got to understand both sides he's like an ambassador he's understanding God because he is God yeah understanding man because he is man that's, that's who he is. So it makes him the only eligible savior. This is, this is crucial for understanding who Jesus is. Okay, so Christ's unity with the Father assures us that Christ being the way, the truth, and the life is not a metaphor. 
you know what a metaphor or a simile is? We can say something is like something. I can say like, um, yeah, so a metaphor, like um, what's a good metaphor? Do you have one? Does anyone have a good metaphor? Edibon is a rock. That's a good one. Now, is Edibon really a rock? Andrew, come on. Renee, is Edibon a rock? Thank you. She says no, absolutely not, was the sentiment. Okay, so, but she said it with love. So, no, Edibon is not a rock which is good because then you would be an inanimate object. So him being the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And so this means it's not just a poem. Jesus is not being poetic here. He is saying, look, guys, I'm, this is what he's saying. I'm God in the flesh, and I'm here. If you want me, come get me. Come. Invite me in right now. I'll, I'll sup with you. I'll have dinner with you. You can start this relationship now. I'm the way, the truth, the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So Christ's unity with the Father assures us that Christ being the way, the truth, and the life is not a metaphor, but a reality on which we can hang everything. Even the worlds are framed by the word of God. Hebrews 1. Even the worlds. Without the word of God, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God without him and his word and him speaking us into existence. We wouldn't even be here and our future is in his hands and, and, our, but our destiny, he allows us to make that choice, whether we want to join him or not. And so through faith, we have complete forgiveness and eternal security in Christ's finished work on the cross since God shed his own blood. Can you guys turn to Acts 20, uh, verse 28? Okay, so it says, Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. So you see the word here is God that, that's used. So to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. Now, who shed his blood on the cross? His name is Jesus. And this verse is telling us God shed his blood for you. That's because Jesus is God. Okay, so let's, let's keep going. Now, in terms of eternal security, um, let's look at Ephesians 1.13. Uh, it says, In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest or down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. So we are eternally secure in Christ, in other words. That Holy Spirit becomes a down payment. And when you put a down payment on it, it's because you bought it. You signed the contract. And when God did that with us, we're destined for heaven. 
So that's what being born again results in is an eternal, an eternal life with God in heaven. So number one, he became a man. John 8, 58. Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. 1 Timothy 3.16, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest, manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. Two, he is a divine person. Matthew 1.23, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted as God with us. Emmanuel means God with us. That was his name foretold in Isaiah chapter 7, uh, roughly 700 years before he came. Uh, King Ahaz heard from the Lord that um, there would be such a one called Emmanuel that would come and save his people. I don't think he believed it, but sometime later, Jesus shows up and he's a baby. Then he became a man in order to die in our place. So number three, his humanity did not develop an individual personality. John 10, 30, I and my father are one. John 5, 30, I can of my own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father which hath sent me. So he was fully submitted to the Father's will. Number four, there was no confusion of his divinity. Revelation 1, 7 and 8. This is at the end of the Bible. This is kind of wrapping up time, so to speak. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. So he's the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. So five, the divine nature imparts powers to the human, and human experience become possible for the divine, all without corrupting any of his divinity. Hebrews 4.15, for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Right? He's felt what we've felt. He knows what pain and suffering is. And um, so we can never go through a moment, a crisis in life that he wouldn't be able to relate to us. Um, you know, he passed the test with flying colors and he went, he went through the worst for us. And so he understands that pain. And Second uh, Peter 1, 4, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these you might be a be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So we become partakers of the divine nature through Christ. We get a glorified body at the end of time. The molecules, whatever, you know, we're made of, when Jesus comes back, our body is going to right out of the grave, and we're going to get a new body. Um, so there's some ways that now we can understand the divine will. Through Romans 12, 1 and 2, we can have a transformed mind daily by getting into the word. And we can get Christ's mind 
Philippians chapter 2, he humbled himself and was a servant. Um, but in terms of looking fully like divineness, for lack of a, another word to explain this, um, we're going to have to wait for that glorified body. And uh, that's described in Romans chapter 8 and also in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, if you want to do more reading, also in 2 Corinthians 5, if you want to jot those down. So six, no, not divided, no divided personality. Sorry, I'm divided in my, what I'm saying. So he's not confused. No confused natures resulted. So he got through all of this without being confused about who he was, which for us, if we change the essence of who we are, we might come out a little wonky. Like I think about Mandalorian or Star Wars when they do the space warp, they like go through a wormhole or something. I mean, scientists say that if they really did that, you would, you're, you would just explode. Like no human would actually make it through that alive. But it's so cool in Hollywood, they're fine. They're just like, yeah, no big deal. Okay, so not a kink in his bothness armor. Uh, bothness meaning like both God and both man. There's no way and no smart theologian can use the word of God rightfully to say that he's confused or divided in his personality. So the seventh thing, the union of Christ's two natures is permanent. Hebrews 7.25, wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Uh, 1 Timothy 2.5, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Um, mediator is that middle party. And so the Bible says that there's one of those between God and man, and it's Jesus. It's not any woman in the Bible. It's not any man in the Bible other than Jesus. Jesus is the one mediator between God and man. And this is why you don't need to pray to saints. This is why you don't need to pray to other gods. This is why you don't need to pray to Buddha. This is why you don't need to pray to uh, Allah or Muhammad or any other God, because the word of God says that he is the one mediator between God and man. So if you want your prayers to be heard, you will pray in the name of Jesus and the father will hear you. You, As a believer in Christ, you um, pray to the father, but pray in Jesus' name. Okay, so, all right. So Jesus foretold in scripture, uh, Genesis 3.15. This is just for fun. You can write down these references. Uh, the son of the race of Abraham. And if you're asking the question, uh, Oh, I would follow Jesus if someone just told me who he was. And if you're not taking notes right now, then I don't want to call you a liar, but I just want to say you don't actually want to follow Jesus. So if you are serious about really wanting to follow the God of the Bible, then take notes right now and look these passages up. I encourage you. I implore you. So the seed of the woman, Genesis 3.15, as soon as as Adam and Eve fell into sin and death entered because of that sin, God made a promise. So let's go to Genesis 3.15. It 
it says, and I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. The cross is the place which Jesus crushed the head of the serpent, the devil, the dragon, Lucifer, whatever you want to call him. We can say the serpent, which we know is Satan. And we don't have time to go through all that. But the cross is where Jesus's heel was bruised. It was a bruise because he healed. I mean, he died completely. But on the third day, he resurrected by his own power. And so that for him was a bruise. The son of the race of Abraham, Genesis 12, Genesis 15, Genesis uh, 22, even foreshadows uh, Christ in a picture, the family of the tribe of Judah, the house, uh, the child of the house of David, the son of a virgin from that house, Isaiah 7, 14. Let's go to Isaiah 7, 14. Okay, so therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And when Christ is born uh, in Matthew 1.22, let's go to Matthew 1.22 now. It says, now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted with us, interpreted is, sorry, I was thinking about doing this, is, yeah, sweet. Did that work? <laughs> All right. So that's him traced through scripture before he came, before he ever got here. God was telling us, like, guys, get ready. He's coming. He's coming. And then he got here. So uh, who is Jesus before his incarnation? He was the angel of the Lord. And you guys can, um, some of you Bible students can look that up and, and see how he had a, an angelic presence before he came and put on flesh. Um, so we call it a theophany. This is like, this is like silly, like theology talk. You don't have to call it a theophany, but a pre-incarnate Christ, uh, theologians will call him uh, a theophany. So I don't care what you say. It's not a Bible word. And, you know, but it's just for your information in case if you get into a conversation with somebody about the divinity of God, because many people will teach that God uh, created, the Father created Jesus the Son, and that he didn't begin to exist until he was born in the world. And this, too, is a heretical teaching. So I talked to some guys this week that believe that the Father created the Son. And uh, unfortunately, it could have implications on uh, even their salvation uh, because they they're confused about which Jesus. It comes with a whole set of other doctrines about who Jesus is. It's a complicated web of lies. So just know that he existed before he put on flesh. He just didn't uh, have flesh put on yet. Uh, Genesis twenty two eleven, and the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, here am I. 
And then Judges 6, 12, and the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, the Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. You'll find a ton of angel of the Lord references. It's a really cool study. Um, so I'm, we're going to move into Christ's atoning work. So he made us one with, with him. And so let's talk about that for just a bit, how Christ mended our relationship to, to him and gave us, gave us life, gave us peace, and gave us joy in his presence. That's an amazing thing to have that free gift of salvation. But let's talk about it for a bit. Uh, he came in Matthew 20, 28, it says, to give his life a ransom for many. So that's the purchase price paid to redeem somebody. If someone is going to be redeemed, say, out of slavery. And so ransom presupposes a debt of some kind. So something has to be paid. And so the scripture is saying that he gave his life a ransom. That's how he paid and bought us back was with his life. And so the world and sin demanded a perfect ransom to get us back into his holy presence. And he said, okay, I see the only way to do it is to put on flesh and uh, buy him back with myself. And so to a redemption out of sin presupposes bondage. Um, three, so that's Ephesians 1, 7. Three, Passover, uh, 1 Corinthians 5, 7, the last part of the verse. For even Christ, our Passover is sacrificed for us. And sacrifice presupposes guilt. I don't know if you guys have ever felt like guilty about something. Let's talk about it in the terms of like the sense of guilt or the feeling. And then you might sacrifice to make up for it and say like, oh, I feel guilty that I didn't do this. I'm going to do like this. Um, and then for a trespass offering, uh, which presupposes iniquity, the motivation behind our sins. And then five, reconciliation of man. He reconciled us, us to himself. Reconcilia reconciliation presupposes enmity or alienation. It, it presupposes that we were distant. Everyone knows alien um, like if we find aliens, we will be so happy, I think, because we've spent billions of dollars looking for them and be like, finally, our investment paid off all that tax money go into finding aliens. So anyway, so he reconciled us. That's amazing because we were alienated to God. Six, a substitution for sinners. And this proves that there was no other way than Jesus because we couldn't save ourselves. He substituted himself on our behalf. It says in Isaiah 53, five, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. With his stripes, we are healed. So you see how that works? It's like, like that. And so he substitution, this is a substitutionary sacrifice, a propitiation, propitiatory sacrifice, just means substitution, just like, and so um, same way that you purchase something, you, you, you trade for something. Okay, so, and he had to do that because there was no other way. So Jesus is prophet, priest, and king. Now, these are important concepts in terms of his messiahship, him being savior. We're not going to go into detail, but know 
in Psalm 40, verse 7, it says, Then said I, Lo, I come in the volume of the book, it is written of me. I delight to do thy will, O my God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. I've preached righteousness in the great congregation. I've not refrained my lips. O Lord, thou knowest, I've not hid thy righteousness within my heart. I have declared thy faithfulness and thy salvation. I've not concealed thy loving kindness and thy truth from the great congregation. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And so Jesus comes in the volume of the book. The whole Old Testament testifies to who Jesus is. And he came, and this, this here is in the book of Hebrews as well, because the New Testament records how the Old Testament was fulfilled in the man of Jesus Christ. So we'll keep going. In the offices of his prophet, prophet, king, and priest roles. So the scope of Jesus's atoning work is all-encompassing. It's sufficient for the sins of the whole world. 1 John 2.9. It says, no, that's not it. Two, one, twenty-nine. I'm crazy. Just a second. No. John one twenty-nine. We're gonna get there. And then we'll move on here in a minute. We're wrapping up. Um Okay, so the next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of, of the world. And so he came for the whole world, um, not just me, not just you, or just a few. Um, so the scope is universal, and his blessings are available to all. And he says the water of life is open to everybody. Just come and get a drink in Revelation. Uh, it is exclusive, though, to those who will. It's only effective for those who believe in the sacrifice and receive Christ as Lord. And so if you have not yet made that decision, then these promises in God's word are not for you yet. They're for you at the point that you put your faith in Christ, which could be tonight. Um, and then here are three ways to apply the 10 things that we talked about at the beginning that relate to the 10 gates. Number one, uh, let Jesus, let Jesus in. No Christ, no peace. It's in like N-O. I imagine like a graphic because I make videos like no Christ, poof, no peace, poof, no Christ, like doves, like doo -doo 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 -doo, and then like no peace, and then doves because it's, uh, you know, K-N-O-W. See that? So, but that's the way it is. And if you guys on a serious note are struggling to have peace with the Lord, um, it's okay. I was there too. And, you know, Tonight can be the night that you fully surrender your life to following the real Jesus of the word of God. Whatever that means for you, I'm not sure what the Lord may be doing in your heart personally, but God does. Um, Revelation 3.20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. The other night, Julie got home from work and the door was unlocked, but she like knocked how many times? like three or four times. Like, I was like, come in. She's like, come in. But anyway, sometimes it's like that. And it's like, you can just go. But in this case, the scripture says, let him in. 
you know, like you got to go. And he's polite. He's like Jesus. He's not just going to kick it down, even if it's unlocked. Unlocking it's not good enough. You got to open it by accepting him as your savior. And so two, learn Jesus. Know him, not just about him. And I mean, look at this message. Now we know a lot about him. And if we stop there, then that would be really sad. And that is not what God wants. And so what is it tonight that God is asking you to uh, put one foot forward in faith to say, okay, I want to double down on knowing Christ for real. And I trust him. I know that he's God and that he's got this. Um, but know him. And what that means for us in Philippians 3, 10 and 11, as Paul said, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. And we don't know resurrection until we know death. And so it does take in our life coming to a point of surrender with the Lord and dying to our own selfish desires. And so it says, then it says, and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. And then three, live Jesus. Um, live Christ by being taken up by your cross. Um, Jesus, when he was here, said, take up your cross and follow me. And it's because he was still here. He was a, the cross-bound man, the man that was uh, rejected, a man of sorrows. Um, and people would look at him and say, look at that cross-bound man. I'm not following him. But, you know, he told his disciples to, you too, take up your cross and follow. But then when Paul, looking back, he said, you know what? Okay, I am crucified with Christ. We got there. And he says, uh, right now I'm choosing, I'm choosing to be crucified with him in this moment. And so, nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me in the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And then our last uh, verse here, but I keep under my body. And this is for the Christian. This is for those of you who are believers. And this is, uh, this is the walk. I keep under my body and bring it into subjection. And this is, this is for me, this is so convicting. I keep under my body and bring it into subjection that lest by any means when I preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. So no one wants to, so you're a Christian, your whole family, my whole family, they know I'm a Christian. But if I'm not really following the real Jesus, then look, this verse is saying it's all for naught. And so uh, I just like to call us in light of that to check our hearts, you and me, and we'll enter a time of prayer. Um, and if any of this resonates with you, um, or even if you have to have a hard conversation with someone that you're fellowshipping with or evangelizing with, I want to pray for you. Um, let's close our eyes for just one minute and raise your hand if there's something that God, so everybody bow your head and close your eyes. Raise your hand if there's just one thing in your heart that you would like prayer for. I see you. I see you. I see you. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. 
Thank you. Thank you. I see you. Amen. Uh, God, we need we need you. And uh, God, you see your people and and those of us that have questions and desires and. God, maybe there's someone here tonight that doesn't is realizing they didn't actually put their faith in you. And Father, I want to ask that uh, tonight they would get um, the help and the counsel that they need, that they would not leave here tonight except they know that they've been born again and changed and put in your family, and that they now have a divine nature with you, God, that they're one with you and that they're saved. God, that they would know your love. And then those that have decisions in terms of uh, talking to people, Father, um, we, we recognize that it's easy in our age to miss you. It's easy to miss your son and who he truly is. And so give us grace, give us favor, and help us to have winsome words and conversations with those people. Help us to speak lovingly and not, not down to, to them at all and um, to help bring them up to your, uh, your words, um, preaching what your word tells us of, of yourself and your son. And so, uh, God, anyone else that has to make a decision, we're all putting one step forward. God, I pray that, um, Lord, whatever that looks like for them, whether it's uh, being accountable in Bible study, buckling down and really getting to know you or getting prayer from somebody or counsel, Lord, please help all of us to do that tonight. As we break up for a small group, um, God, would you fill that time, go before us, let your spirit lead and do the work in our life that we're here for you to work in our life. And so we submit to that and uh, ask you to, to, to make that time rich um, and change us, God. Um, we pray for also the Christmas parties, God, that you would, you would go before us, Lord, and Julie Power's celebration of life service, that you would comfort the family um, by your own spirit. You're the God of all comfort. And so, God, uh, it's going to be a good weekend. We're expecting you to do great things. And uh, we know that next semester um, you'll go before us. We ask you uh, to do that and to keep us reminded to pray and to never take you for granted. Um, thank you for your word, Father. Thank you for the time that we had together. We pray all of this in Jesus' name.